Good morning, everybody. I'm the other Andy. Should have been here at first service. I said, and Andy's got something to say. Well, wait a minute. Oh, it's the other Andy. Anyway, uh, if you haven't noticed, I play bass, and I just love singing and worshiping and praising God with y'all. That is such an honor, and it's exciting when I hear your voices in, in praise and worship. And I also, uh, Thursday nights, there's a men's Bible study, so if you're interested in, uh, we're doing a, a prayer session now from uh, Jim Sambala uh, from uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, An amazing uh, series. So if you're interested in that, give me a holler, and uh, we'll get you connected and uh, lit up with that. So today's word, Jesus is the word. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Uh, and as well as uh, 1 Kings, chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. So, in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then in 1 Kings, chapter 19, verse 11 through 12, God was talking to Elijah, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Jesus, the word. Praise be to God. As we gather in week two of our series, A New Beginning. Week one was, was wonderful to, to open and be reminded that Christmas started with God in Genesis. And, and all the way through, and um, we see God. It's all about him and his promise and his word and what he's begun, a new thing. And because we often especially guys, forget, right? And so we need reminders, remembers. That's why they made this phone and iPod so you can listen to your music, but it was a sneaky way just to put reminders so Siri would yell at you, go to the grocery store, don't forget the milk. I still forget the milk. Like, this just, I wish there was a better way that was, and, and God knew the better way. He had to get in us. He had to completely transform us from the inside out. And so as we go through this series, we're anchoring in, Matthew 1.23, as we see this uh, prophecy from Isaiah fulfilled, and Matthew records it, and in Matthew 1.23, we, we read, and he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's the promise fulfilled, is God is with us, fully man and fully God. And we see... Next week, we're going to look at these themes of the new beginning when we're walking with God. It's great and wonderful and amazing. You've ever been on a retreat on a mountaintop and you have this experience emotionally, intellectually, and, and physically, and you're like, yes, this is awesome. And if you read the Bible, you'll, you'll see Peter had one of those, and he's like, let's live here forever. We're on the mountaintop. Jesus, you're in your glory. We're never coming down. And, and then you go down, and there's a valley, which... Valleys are hard, but they have an end, right? We were at Thanksgiving the other week, and we drove up this valley, and our family said, hey, take this other way. There's more meadows, less valleys. And I'm like, no, I love just it's hard, it's dark, whatever, but it's quick. Well, there's a shortcut. It's through the valley. It's hard. And, 
And I know God's word says that Jesus is with me through the valley of shadow of death. So I got it. Like, let's cruise through this valley. Wildernesses, though, is what we're looking at today. I hate the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is not like our forests or national parks. Those aren't wildernesses. Those are like backyards. Those are like front yards. They're all manicured. There's like, you're walking through Yosemite, all of a sudden there's a chapel, that's not wilderness. You go over a little further, there's like a nice path, and there's like this old guy who goes there for 80 years and tells you all the history, like, that's not wilderness. That's like, literally, there's a, you know, world-renowned resort there with hot chocolate, and they have all the trinkets that your kids are like, I want this, and are like, well, that's $1,000 for a bottle opener. We're not buying that just because it has Yosemite on it for $1,000. You know, that's not the wilderness, if you go in Israel, if you look on Google, that's wilderness. It's barren. There's nothing. And then there's like a tent they set up. And you're like, really? You like live in, it's barren. You're just waiting. You're wandering. There's no farming. There's just some goats that like run around. And there's just like, it's, it's barren. And you're waiting and the mercy of whatever comes. And that's where in the wilderness, this metaphor of, it's used for trials and hardships and wandering. And you're waiting and you're not sure what to do next. And this season in our life looks something like uh, maybe you've been in a job or this is you right now, you're in a job and it's the wilderness. It's hard, it's frustrating, the ground's hard, the weather's cold and rough, there's not a lot of people supporting you. If anything, they're against you. And, and you're thinking, I can't stay in this job. Maybe I, I start a side job or maybe I go back to school and you start to be creative because the angst is getting to be too much to sit in the wilderness and you're thinking loans for a new school but then I could maybe make a better job or if I have a family, what's that gonna look like to, to position and change? But there's gotta be something better. You're in a wilderness. Maybe you're, you're renting and your heart's desires to own because you can't bear to write another rent check to build someone else's equity and, and you're trying to make these first steps to purchasing your home and you're in this wilderness but it's like how long and when's the raise and what's next year's recession, crash? of the economy, what does that look like? You're in the wilderness. Or maybe relationally, you're in the wilderness. You're dating someone and it's been two years, three years, not a word about a ring, and you're like, do I just you know, the, hope this works out or do I just cut my losses, which is a big loss, and start dating again, and the fear and unknown of that, do I go back into a wilderness? Like, what do we do in the wilderness? Maybe you're married and it's been a wilderness when you're trying to have kids and it's not working. And you're thinking, man, maybe we need to look at adoption because trying to have kids in this season is just not working out. Maybe there's another way that God's moving us. You're in the wilderness. The wilderness, interestingly enough, follows the mountaintop in Scripture. Jesus is baptized. The heavens open up and God's like, this is my son. Listen to him. Which maybe some of you have thought, maybe I'll believe in Jesus if the heavens opened up and God yelled, this is my son, listen to him. And that happened and no one listened to him. Like even the disciples were like, ah, I have my doubts, like I don't know. And right after that moment, Jesus gets led into the wilderness and he's tempted. For 40, he's in the wilderness, it's barren, it's desolate. He's wandering, he's waiting. You've been there where a friend's betrayed you, you hate your job, there's financial pressure. You find out your, your spouse isn't honest and you're wondering what's next. The hurt, the confused, you're feeling empty and you're wondering and you're waiting. And that's what makes this reflection so 
powerful of Paul in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, where at the perfect time, when everything was just right, God's like, all right, sweet. Now everyone's feeling the pressure and they're in this wilderness season and they're wandering and they're waiting and they're looking. Now I can come and adopt them as my sons, my daughters. Now I can come and everyone's gonna see this is the answer. This is the thing they've been wanting. This is what they've been needing. And we see that your greatest want becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. That's it. That's the bottom line. We could, we could be done, except I have an exciting story and then prayer for you we're going to get to, and then we're going to go and, and, and look and reflect this Advent, this expectant waiting and reflecting on maybe we're in that wilderness, and is, is this season revealing your greatest want? And allowing that to be a blessing because it's driving you to depend on God more than you've been depending on him in the past. One of my favorite examples is from Elijah, where this new beginning, God's interacting with his people, and Elijah learned this principle that the, his greatest blessing came when, when his greatest want became that blessing because it drove him to depend on God. When he was on the mountain of all mountain highs, he falls quickly into the greatest of all depressions and desperation. The, the backstory here, King Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah at Mount Carmel killed 850 prophets, and Jezebel sent word to Elijah, by this time tomorrow, I will kill you. Now you're like, who's Jezebel? That sounds like a crazy queen, like the king better get it. The craziest thing is even... When, when God came to Gideon and said, hey, we're going to do this thing, we're going to set some people free, first we have to go in that day basically blow up Planned Parenthood, and then we can start the strategy. You're like, whoa, what? This is getting political in church. The craziest thing is God is so obsessed with the one thing we need being him, and we get so distracted, but it's the same playbook. Satan's not that creative. He says, look, here's Jezebel who brings in this worship of Baal the fertility goddess, and then when you have all these orgies and sex outside of marriage, you have these unwanted pregnancies, and then you offer sacrifices to Baal, which is those babies. It's the same thing we're doing in our culture. We have sex outside of marriage, you have unwanted pregnancies, well, perfect, we have the solution. Planned Parenthood, all these abortions. It's the same worship, and it's the same thing happening here. But Elijah goes on Twitter, he goes on Facebook, he goes on record and says, you guys are in sin, this is God's nation, we're his people, we're not worshiping a false god, we're worshiping the true God. And so Jezebel's like, oh really Elijah, you think you're that tough and cool, you think your God's that tough? Well, Baal's better and more sensual and pleasurable, and so she kills all these prophets. And so then Elijah calls him to the mountain, and he and he. He literally, the backstory is, he stands down 850 false prophets, and he calls down, and mockingly, he's like, hey, why don't you pour water on the sacrifice before I call fire down, just to prove my God is the creator and all-powerful God. And then they put water on, and the fire calls down because the false prophets couldn't call fire down from false gods because they're Satan, and God's more powerful than Satan. So then they realize they're done, and all these prophets are killed, and that's when Jezebel hears word that her prophets have been killed, and she's like, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And he turns into this weak little boy and is ashamed and depressed and fearful and, and runs a hundred 
miles. This was before Uber. You couldn't just be like, oh, I'm on the Mount Carmel. Can I get an Uber? I got to get out of here. This lady's crazy. She wants to kill me. Like he had to run. And I, my body's not built for running. I figured that out, thankfully, in high school and jumped in a pool and took my skills of, of soccer and ball moving with a goal and was like, sweet, I'll swim. And I can do some stuff underwater that people won't know about. And it's fine that you, you get called on for soccer. So it was cool. But but Elijah, I'm like, 100 miles? Dude, I get after a mile, my whole, like, weird parts of my body are yelling, screaming, and, like, this guy ran 100 miles. In verse 3, we see Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba and Judah. He left his servant there, and he went a day's journey into the wilderness. This is the idea of wilderness. This is the season where he just had the most victory of all victories, and yet he's afraid, runs, leaves, and goes into the wilderness, and he says, it came to a, he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. And he said this, I've had enough, Lord. Maybe you're there today. You're coming into the end of the year, and you're like, I've had enough. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I can't handle this anymore. And you want to throw in the towel. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. First Kings 19, 3 through 5. Maybe that's you today. I have had enough. I know I'm in ministry, I know I'm doing things, I'm serving, I know I have a family, I know i got to provide, but I've had enough, Lord. Teenagers, at some point, you have it up to here, your friends have abandoned you, because they do that, if you, you haven't caught on yet, you know, through middle school, there's a switch where people start leaving, and then in high school, and then towards the end of high school, like, friends bail. And then you get into your 20s, and now all of a sudden the people that were like too cool to be your friends are like, hey, what's up? My friends bailed, and your friends bailed. Hey, we're all trying to figure this out together. And then you realize, yeah, we're all a mess. Maybe your boss is this passive-aggressive, narcissistic, demanding, and he's just pressuring you, pushing on you, and, and you've had enough, and you're done. You can't live in this environment. You can't bring that junk home anymore, and the best you can, it still sneaks in to your home life. And maybe you're making up financial ground, and then the and then the cars broke down on the side of the road. And you just, they're done. I've had enough. You gain your savings. You get that 10 grand or 20 grand point, And then you come home from vacation and the house is flooded. Maybe you've made Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner for everybody. And after all that, hours in the kitchen, slaving to serve, everyone just pieces out and leaves all the dishes for you to clean up. And then that's where that spirit of Jezebel can sneak in. You got to watch out. And then you're like, by this time tomorrow, everyone's dead. You, you got to watch out. That will come out. And, and even the most chill, relaxed pastor, like I, I got to watch out for that spirit. Like, hey, I did what for y'all? And now this is how you're, nope, that's, we're throwing down. By this time tomorrow, you better be looking out because I'm coming. You can handle a lot. And then that one thing pushes you over the edge. Elijah stood down King Ahab. He prophesied because of their sin and false god worship and sensual worship and, and pushing this on the nation that there'd be a drought because of consequence of sin. And that happened. For three years, King Ahab was on full force pursuing Elijah. While well, hiding out, God took care of him, fed him by ravens. He raised the dead. He stands down these 850 false prophets, calls fire from Heaven destroys them, asks God for rain, and the, the cloud the size of a man hand, man's hand appears and grows and rain falls. Protection, provision from God. 
all the way through, success, success, victory, victory, and then this one little tweet pops up on his phone after that, and he looks at it, and it's Jezebel. I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And he's like, ah! And he's destroyed. When you look at Elijah, he seems exhausted. He seems tired, distracted. Maybe you can relate. Maybe that's where you're at today. You're just worn down. You're tired. And I was talking to my friend this week and, and mentor, and I'm like, dude, I'm coming in. I got... I got some big things I got to wrap up. I'm trying to get ahead here, and I got some other responsibilities that God's opened up, doing some, some coaching, and I feel like God wants me to do that. So I got a lot, and I'm, I'm just done. And uh, he's like, yeah, everyone is, like everyone I talk to. And so I, I heard this Christian psychologist talking to other leaders, and they're having a similar conversation. They just were all relenting the same probably sigh that you are. Yeah, I'm tired. It's been a long year, and we're coming into another run to finish up here, going into Christmas and end of the year. And, and he said, I don't think you're diagnosing, Henry Cloud said, I don't think you're diagnosing it right, this Christian psychologist. You, you see, if you were tired, you could take a nap, which is great, right? That power nap, found out a little secret, so you take a little shot of caffeine, then you take a little power nap, you wake up all ready to go, energized. It's been a saving grace for me at the end of a long week. 4.30 comes around, I'm like I gotta recharge for home and then life group, I'll take a little caffeine power nap and be ready to go and I wake up and I'm just still tired, even more tired. I'm like, I, have, I still have a couple hours of work, what? And uh, it's because I'm not tired. Henry Cloud said you're depleted. And that's what we see here with Elijah. You can't just get a good night's rest. A little bit of NyQuil is not gonna help you kick the cold and re, no, it's, it's something deeper than that. It's a physical Rest, that's not quite it. It's the spiritual replenishment. And it's a combination of both. See, as, as the psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures, restores my soul. God doesn't come to Elijah and preach a sermon and say, what are you doing? You missed a Bible study. That's why. Go to your Bible study. Read more. Pray more. Do more. He doesn't rebuke Elijah and question him. Where's your faith? If you had more faith, then I'd give you strength. God tells him simply to eat and rest. He says here, and all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat, verse five. He's like, what are you doing? Get up, go to In-N-Out, get a number one, just sit down, relax, and have a burger. Like, eat, it's okay. Like, wow, man, his sermon better be short. He's already talking about food. Like, get up and eat, and then go take a nap. Verse 6, he looked around, and there by his head was some bread, baked over hot coals, and a jar of water. God not only told him what to do, but he provided what he needed. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. This was back before gluten became a problem, so he didn't have to question, like, hey, is this gluten-free because I got this diet thing? No, he's just ate. Interestingly, the most spiritual thing we can do often is, is rest. And even for me, this last week, my wife and I were like, hey, we, we need to rest. Like, we, we're going, going, going. Our connection time kind of lingers, and maybe a show gets turned on, or maybe this. And it's like, hey, we got to pray, get in the Word, and then get to bed. Because there's so much in front of us. we got to get this rest. And I, the, literally, to confess, the least liked and probably angst-causing verse in the Bible is be still and know that I'm God. I, I'm a product of this generation and also my personality is 
I, never, I didn't know people could be still. And my friend asked me, he's like, does your brain ever slow down? I was like, oh, you, you mean you can go slower? Like, I didn't know. I thought I was like, I needed to go faster. And God's like, no, just stop and know that I'm God. Elijah, stop. All this you're looking at from your point of view, stop. Just, just be still and know that I'm God. And 1 Kings 19, 7 through 10, the angel of the Lord comes back a second time Guilty, thank you, Lord. The first time's never enough. If anyone can relate with me, it's like God's like, I love you. You're like, mm-hmm, cool. And you, it's like, no, wait, I gotta come back and let you know and remind you and shake you up. And so God comes back a second time, touches him and says, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. He hit snooze. He had a snack, had some water. He's like, yeah, but I'm tired. I need to rest. No, you don't need to rest. You need to eat and drink deep. You need to be strengthened by food. It says in verse 8, so he got up, he ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. In verse 9, there he went into a cave and he hit snooze again. How many of you guys hit snooze? I'm like the king of snooze. Everyone hates me. Like my family, they're like, dude, why is I'm going off? I'm like, I had perfect intention to get up and read, but subconsciously I'm like doing crazy moves, hitting snooze. This morning, I had three alarms. Somehow snoozed them all. I don't know how. Like, it's just, I have to have something in college. I literally found, someone gave me this robot alarm clock. They would go off and had wheels on it and would run around my room because I had to actually get up and, like, chase this robot to turn it off. Like, that's how bad. And so I'm like, Elijah's my boy. Like, dude, I'm going, but I'm, there's a cave. Oh, I got to go take a nap. I'm tired. I'm hitting snooze. And so he goes in there, and God's like, pursuing him this whole time. Verse nine, there he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him and asked him, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you, you just gonna sleep again? Like you're snoozing. No, I have a purpose for you. Let's go, get up. I supplied what you needed. It's not what you think your physical body needs. This is a spiritual thing. I got you, let's go. We serve a God of second chances. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't go, oh man, Elijah, I thought he was better than that, but he's just weak. Just like everybody else, get sucked into the physical distractions. He didn't get it right last time. But the Lord is patient with us, and he comes to us again. He says, what are you doing here? What good is this going to do? Get up. In verse 10, he replies, and this is where uh, I, I apparently, I kind of snapped at my wife when when. Uh, we had our first child, and it was kind of a rough pregnancy, and so Jim would have to get me up and like, hey, let's sh- take shifts. You get up and get Mike, bring, bring him to me, and I don't remember it. This is all secondhand, okay, so just full confession, uh, but apparently, like, she tried to wake me up for like a half hour, 45 minutes, and so I awoke, and she was yelling, crying, and she's like, get out of bed, get up, and I'm like, what? And so I was, in the morning, she was like, you're a jerk, I hate you, and I was like, wow, that's not a we just had our first child like I didn't know like that's kind of how like, marriage already took a turn really bad like for a really worse turn it's been like weeks like days with our first child now we already have this animosity like where's this coming from well last night I tried to get you up for a half hour you wouldn't get up and then you did and you're yelling at me and stomping and slamming doors like that I'm a pastor like I that's not I don't you probably had a nightmare like let's talk about this what was how much NyQuil did you have like this what's what kind of drugs are you on Again, this is my boy Elijah, same thing. 
He snaps at God. Verse 10, I've been so zealous for the Lord. I'm such an awesome prophet. The Israelites have rejected you, your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Give me a break. Let me hit snooze one more time. And now they're trying to kill me too. And where are you? What are you doing, God? Do you even see this? This is hard for me. You ever snap at God before? Guilty, right? Like, this is real. This is where we're at today. Hey, God, have you looked around? Look at the church. Look at my family. Look at, where are you at? Look at our situation. But God meets Elijah in his need. God shows up for him. And he doesn't come and lecture him. He's patient and gracious. He knows exactly what Elijah needs. Your deepest need, your deepest want, becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. See, Elijah thought he needed some sleep. He thought he wanted sleep, but he really wanted God. He wanted God's presence. He needed God's presence. So this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, and this new beginning to walk with God and be a new person inside. See, the Lord shows up in verse 11 and says, hey, go outside on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, Elijah, being a good Jewish boy, would remember great-grandfather of the faith, Moses, had a similar experience. So he's like, sweet, finally God shows up for me. And so he goes outside, and the Lord's about to pass by, and a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattering rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. This whole experience, Elijah's done. He's like, God, show up for me. And God's like, okay, I'll show up for you. God's not in the wind. We had a little gentle breeze come by this week, and I walked outside. Our tent we had up there was fine. Walked back by, the, the tent was not fine. A minute later, the gentle breeze just flipped it up, snapped a bunch of poles. So you can imagine, it's like a little aluminum, like rocks destroying, but God's not there in the wind. And then all of a sudden, there's an earthquake, which if you've been in California long enough, you've had a couple earthquakes. So this giant earthquake, the earth's shaking, quaking, and Elijah's like, all right, this is a little different you know, than Moses and the burning bush, but God's not in the earthquake, come to find out. And after the earthquake came a fire. And I can imagine Elijah's like, all right, about time. Like, we had the wind, the earthquake, but now the fire, like, Moses saw God. And to his disappointment, though, the Lord is not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. It was in the gentle whisper that God was there. So looking at it, God is not in the wind. The earthquake, the Lord is not in the earthquake. When the fire comes, he's not in the fire. Earth, wind, and fire. And he's not in any of that. God was not in the remarkable. He wasn't in the awestruck. He was in the ordinary. God was in the whisper. When we're overwhelmed by stress, when it's anxiety that's crippling us, why does God's voice seem so quiet? Why doesn't he speak to us in the spectacular or the powerful ways? If he wants me to know him, experience him, trust him, why does he whisper? He whispers because he's always been so close. He's always been right there. 
And the devil shouts lies. You're not good enough. You failed. You could try harder. You need to stay up later, get up earlier, do this, do that, work harder. But God whispers truth. He doesn't shout louder than the world or your temptations because he's right near you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. He's right there. And it's the middle of a storm, right? Any kids in here, what do you do when there's a storm? Probably because we never have storms. So in a storm, you're like, what? The world's ending. It's over. You hear lightning, you're like, I've never heard that before. And, you know, you grew up in California, you're like, yeah, 40 years ago we had lightning. It was crazy, right? And when we were kids, we hear that storm and the thunder and the lightning, we'd run to mom and dad's room. We'd try and snuggle in their bed and just be close. And it wasn't that they had a bat and the bat was going to protect you. It was the presence, the nearness to your mom and dad that brought you that peace. The psalmist writes, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. Where can I go from your spirit? The psalmist says in Psalm 139, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. Interesting thing with God's presence being so near to us is we, we often forget that it's his presence that is near and it's his presence that we need. And, and it's funny because when you know, we think about where we're at and what we're experiencing, the distractions gain the priority. And it's where we're focusing that keeps us from hearing the whisper. Because he's, he's never left, and he's never not whispering. And it's, it's interesting, as, as so many of you, I could probably put my hand on and just share with you, but um, last service, I had a guy that, um, you know, of all places, and we probably might have some people leave the church if they haven't already, because I went into a tattoo parlor to get a tattoo. And it's like, dude, that, you can't, you're a pastor, you can't be there, you can't do that. And he his dad had been praying for him for years. And there I am in this tattoo parlor sharing the gospel with this guy. And Jenna takes a picture and sends it to her family. Guess what Brandon's doing? Everyone's like telling people about Jesus. It's a pastor, obviously. But it wasn't until months later that, that Phil had been hearing this sermon. And it was that still small voice that led him to the Lord. And, and for, for John, who's been in the wilderness and has been waiting and wandering and, and wondering, God, when are you going to show up? And his family's in Arizona, and he's here figuring it out, waiting, wandering. And it's that still, small voice saying, I have this. And my family building up the body. And it's the encouragement that when everything else in the world is distracting us, we can't hear that. When everything else is the priority, and like Elijah, my life's over, she said something hurtful, the world's falling apart. The world's always been falling apart. You just were asleep or distracted. And it's been amazing having John, who was uh, part of a Boy Scout group that I was a part of as a kid, come back and be able to be in a Bible study with Phil and see the body build each other up. 
when the rest of the world's falling apart, when our families are falling apart, when our lives are falling apart, Jesus is there saying, I'm the still small voice. No matter what wilderness wandering you're walking through, I'm here for you. And the most powerful thing we see is God's demonstration of his love. God shows us his love while we're sinning, Christ was dying. God demonstrates his love while we're in sin, Christ died for us. That's the most powerful verse when we think about this. God cared for, provided for Elijah. God cares for and provides for you and gives you the most necessary, needed thing and it's in the wilderness that reveals our wants, our needs. We think it's a new job. We think it's a new place to live. We think it's, no, it's all Jesus. No matter what's going on around us, as long as we have Jesus, we have his peace because his presence is there. But the question is, what's distracting you from his presence being so near? What's keeping you from listening to that small, still voice saying, I I love you. I have this. Just trust me. Walk with me. I forgive you for the sin that you committed. I've made you new. Walk with me. When we see Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, it's his death that demonstrates the magnitude of our ingratitude. When we see his death, it really reveals and pulls back the magnitude. How big and how wide is our ingratitude toward his sacrifice to come from heaven where he was worshiped and he was praised and everything was good to come and live with us, among us, being accused of hanging out with prostitutes and sinners and being a drunkard to show us that's where you're supposed to go. If you're following me, the world's gonna hate you because you're gonna say, hey, stop sleeping around outside of marriage. Hey, stop killing babies. Hey, we actually have truth. Like, we can't just redefine it. Here's what truth is. And that only happens in the context of darkness that light shines brighter. That only happens around the dinner table when your family's not quite seeing truth and you're not gonna stay silent. You're gonna say, hey, I love you enough to tell you this. And the most amazing thing is God died for you. He knew that you're a mess. You know, the the American gospel is, oh, you treat people how you want to be treated and you'll get to heaven. Just do good things. I don't want to be forced to go to church. You hear that constantly. I just, next time I hear it, I just want to be like, dude, shut up. Let me just help you understand. That's not good. That's horrible. I agree. That makes me want to vomit. The good news is God said the only way to get in heaven is Jesus. And I took care of that. I sent him. He's there, grab hold of him. Because if we don't grab hold of Jesus, then it shows us the magnitude of our attitude. No scholar denies that Jesus lived, but yet that's the opinion of our day. And how vocal is the church like Elijah saying, hey, Jesus lived. Scholars believe it. What are you doing with him though? Because the magnitude of our ingratitude is saying, yeah, he's insignificant. I'm gonna live my life however I want. And the magnitude of his love for us laying his life down should be enough for us to at least mention his name. Say, look, Jesus changed my life. He can change yours. Can I tell you? You guys can say that. Hey, Jesus changed my life. Can, can I tell you? He's near me. And if, if we're distracted by things around us, we're not going to hear that still small voice that says, I got you. Bring me up in front of family or bring me up in front of friends. And it's that wilderness that prepares us. Because I would way rather be in the wilderness with God than on the mountaintop without him. 
And it's through those seasons where you go through the wilderness that you realize, yeah, you, the world can have everything and anything because it doesn't matter compared to Jesus. So I'm not going to shrink back or hold back. I'm going to be open and honest with it's all because of Jesus. It's all for Jesus. It's all through him. And I got to fight to keep my focus on him so I could hear his still small voice whispering, I love you. I sent my son to die for you, to set you free from sin and make you new. And there's a whole lot of hurting people out there. Thousands, hundreds that are lied to, that are deceived, and that you have been put in charge of leading them to Jesus. Whether you're their boss, whether you're their spouse, whether you're their parent, or you're, you, your kids go to their school, or you go to the same grocery store, I'm always convicted. I walk into Vaughn's, I'm like, Lord, how many people are really responsible? Like, can I just get bread and get out? Like, how is, we're called to go. Jesus didn't say, hey, on Sunday from 9 to 11, if you're really committed, you could go to both services. But really, if you just do the 1030 to noon, you're good. He didn't say that. He said, go, which means 365 days, 24-7, you're going. Loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving your community, leading them to Jesus. But if we're distracted, we can't hear that still small voice. So I want to pray as we close and Pray for those that are maybe in the wilderness that are being distracted by the, the weight of the world and, and confusion. And so if, you, if you're there, just we're going to close our eyes and, and pray. If you're there, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. And if you're in that wilderness season, then after I pray, we'll take communion and then sing our last song together. So let's pray together. God, for those here that are maybe in the wilderness that are raising their hands, just saying, man, I'm there. I need to hear your still small voice. I just see the hands going up and, and know that there's a lot of confusion, a lot of distraction, a lot of at stake that, that maybe causes us anxiety, fear, and pause and wanting to just push off the pain uh, or the inevitable. Lord, we pray for your strength. We pray for your peace. We pray for your presence. We pray for ears to be open to hear that small, still, quiet voice of truth, of love, of of assurance that your presence is with them and will never leave them or forsake them. Lord, as we look to you today, we pray that you'd continue to comfort your body, your bride, as we go into this season of reminding ourselves of when you first came and you promised to come again. And in this season, while it's easy to look at the persecution of our brothers and sisters and say, that's big, there's also the big things of just the weight of the season we're in. Wanting it to be over, wanting clarity, wanting just a good trust and a strong relationship with maybe a spouse or a, a child, maybe a coworker, a boss relationship is tenuous and we pray for peace there. We just pray that you would, as you did for Elijah, just come alongside and reveal yourself to him and that we would keep our eyes attentive towards you so we can hear that voice spoken from you. May our greatest wants and needs be a blessing as they push us to depend on you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that maybe are hearing this going, man, that's amazing. They have that God that's there and will never leave them or forsake them. I don't know if I have that. I don't know if I have that relationship. You don't, probably. And many of you have been coming to church a long time or a short time, and you probably don't have that relationship with Jesus if there's no fruit. If there's no changed desire or changed thought pattern, 
It's a question that we have to wrestle with and, and it's a question we should ask. Am I saved? Do I have this relationship with God? And it's free and it's simple and it's as easy as drinking water and receiving this new life. But then there's the commitment to follow Jesus. As Jesus said, anyone who comes after me must deny himself. But if you come after me and, and stand before men and acknowledge that you're following Jesus, then I'll stand before my father and acknowledge that you're son and daughter because you believe in my payment for your sin and now you're saved. And if that's where you're at today and you wanna continue to follow Jesus, let us know. We wanna pray for you, surround you with community, and it's a journey. It, it's not a, hey, I, I raised my hand once, now I'm good, I'll just make sure I hold on to that get out of hell free card. That's not what Jesus said. He said it's gonna cost you your whole life but the amazing thing is, as it gets harder and there's more wilderness, that's when God develops you and grows you. And any believer is going, amen, I've been there. I'm in the wilderness. Pray for me, pastor. And that's why we, we, we take communion as a church, because we forget. That's why he said, do this in remembrance. Because this afternoon, you're going to forget. And then next Sunday, you're like, oh, I knew. He I knew I was going to forget. So we're going to give you a minute to let the Spirit speak to you as you pray, and I'll come up and close this.